cliffcentral.com. Yes, indeed, cliffcentral.com. It is time for the burning platform, which comes to you every Thursday morning. It's our chance to catch up on all the big stories that are going on in the news, to see what's happening in current affairs, to speak about all the stories that matter the most to you and have the biggest effect on what's going on in your life. Oh, Pums, I'm getting some feedback from you. From me? Yeah. I think if you just turn it down a little bit, then we'll sort it out. Pumi Mashiko is in Joburg. She's in her offices. I'm in Cape Town. And I uh, got a couple of meetings here today and then heading back this evening. Um, it's, a, it's a lot of flying to Cape Town in the last week or two. And it's been quite pleasant. I mean, I didn't, um, I didn't fly with any, any fancy airlines. I didn't do anything uh, any fancy way. Uh, you know, you have to wear your mask. Um, but it's, it's, it's really not the most unpleasant thing. And it's only a two-hour flight. So it's been an absolute pleasure. Both, both ways uh, on, on the weekend and then this way down here and hopefully on the way back also. No major problems. I've noticed, though, that flights are picking up. There are some people who are complaining that there are not enough flights uh, going between Johannesburg and Cape Town. The flights are all full, so maybe there's, well, there's space for more. You know, Fly Sapphic ran mm-hmm. a big like digital promotion saying that there are like eight red flights or something like that. Yeah. Yesterday. And I'm interested to know if anybody got an eight rand flight. Uh, I didn't, and I, do, I did fly with them. Did you fly? No, but it was only, they were only on sale yesterday, the eight rand flights. Oh, no, 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 no. Then, then I should have waited before I booked. That was stupid. Um, okay, so a couple of people complaining about the app audio playing uh, different things at the same time. So we'll try and figure that out. But I do want to see if we can get mm-hmm. Canton on. Ah, Canton, how's it? Oh, we're hearing very He's strange. the one with the feedback. Uh-huh. You reckon? I'm going to kick him out and maybe he can come back in. Let's see if we can get him on. Yeah. Canton, of course, a returning uh, co-host of the Burning Platform. We haven't seen him in a while. We only get to speak to him now because he has become the parent in charge of dropping the kids at school. You know that. So normally, unless there's school holidays, we can't have Canton on. Right, Pums? <laughs> Oh, and we miss him dearly. I miss him dearly. I'm glad he's coming on today because of the the stuff that's going on. And also... Well, where do we we begin with today's uh, burning platform? Let's just start the ball rolling. Uh, We've got State Capture Report Part 4. Pums, have you already looked at it? Because I know you're a a nerd when it comes to this stuff. Dude, I downloaded it when it came out last week, Thursday, after the show. Mm-hmm. and started reading it. And because we had a long weekend, I was quite like keen that I'm going to read the whole thing finished. But I must say that probably by kind of Saturday, halfway through the day, yeah. I had to stop reading it because it was making <clears throat> me feel, it was making me feel down. It was making me feel like, Oh, this is so, it, it's so much. It's so, it's so crazy. And I am clear that what we need now, it, it, we, need, we need the kind of leadership that is not going to be afraid at the NPA, at the political level, that is not going to be afraid to pull an Erdogan here in this country. Mm. That's what we need now. We need an Erdogan type of kind of cleaning up. Where well, you asking for, are you asking for a dictatorship, Pums? No, no. In that he <laughs> had 
36,000 people arrested and charged in this like his, ah, okay. his reasons for doing that was ridiculous because he thought they were mounting a coup against well, him. But we need that kind of scale of kind of arresting, charging, and hauling people through the justice system because the scale at which the institutions of this country have been broken is so deep and far and wide and insidious. That's what we need. We need, and we need it at the NPA because they, they have got to build the cases that stick. Um, But also we need it at the political level where there is no interference. Well, while we're waiting for Canton to join us, I, I hear what you're saying about Erdogan actually charging a bunch of people. I read the most fascinating thing the other day about Mohammed bin Salman, who's the crown prince of Saudi Arabia. And there's an author or, an, or a, a journalist who's been working, I think, with the New York Times on a story about him for a long, long time. They've eventually put together a documentary. He's, done, he's actually had interviews with Mohammed bin Salman. Most amazing thing happening in Saudi Arabia. So what he did for me, and they've also been, you know, overwhelmed by corruption over the years because i mean the the average uh you know the average budget in 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 saudi on any given year goes to paying off a whole lot of princes to live like princes and there's there's an enormous network of patronage and of stupidity and of corruption that goes on in saudi arabia and mohammed bin salman who's taking over as he's not the king yet his father's the king but his father's in his 80s and he's kind of having a slow retirement Mohammed bin Salman booked out, I think it was the Four Seasons in Riyadh. And he sent everybody who has had their hand in the till. Valued business people, um, friends of the family, family members, princes. Brothers. Brothers. They all got put in the Four Seasons Hotel, right? They got, you know, nice meals sent to their room, room service. Uh, there's, a, there's a pool. There's, uh, you know, fitness facilities that... So that, but they cannot leave the hotel. And what he did is he locked them all in there and said, here's the deal, guys. You either pay back 90% of everything you've stolen, and we know what you've stolen. I've done an audit. I know what the facts are. Either you come to me and you sit down with me, you say, Prince MBS, I'll give you back 90% of everything, my ill-gotten gains, and then we can make a deal. Or else I'm going to kishogi you. Um, <laughs> And, and he's had the most incredible success. I mean, again, this is extrajudicial. You know, this is not this is not a country. This is a this is an absolute monarchy. This is not a country yeah, that runs. Uh, yeah. It doesn't run on democratic principles and rule of law and all of that stuff. It's basically he's a strong man, and he's come in and he said, "If you don't give back the money you've stolen, I'm going to get it from you anyway." And it's worked because all of these guys who've had their hands in the till have suddenly said, "All right, let's make a deal." including this one businessman whose name eludes me for the moment. But apparently, it's been fantastically good. It's really worked. And this, you know, for the longest time has been my complaint about Shamila Badoi and Mm -hmm. and her position, is what it does is it sends shockwaves through the system, right? You, you, you you, you You don't have to arrest everybody. But high-profile arrests and convictions, what they do is they become a deterrent. Yeah, in that, across the bar. Now people are scared. 
like people are afraid that their day is coming. But it, let's, it's going um, to be. Let's yeah? add. Let's add Canton in here and see. Ah, there he is. And it, uh, it seems like we've, we've got you loud and clear, Canton. Go well, ahead. Well, the question is whether my audio is actually working properly. Can you guys just hear me? It's, it is. This is a little bit of a uh, almost a, an echo, like a doubling up of it. But otherwise, we're good. All right. I have no idea where it went wrong this morning, but I haven't used for ages. <laughs> it sounds like you've almost developed a stutter. It's very funny. Um, at least we can hear you. So, Canton, welcome back. I don't know if you heard what I said about Mohammed bin Salman and what Pumi was saying about uh, Erdogan in uh, sorry Erdogan in in Turkey, and the. And, and you probably can't believe that you're back here talking to us and the name Shamila Batoy has come up and we've still made no progress, even though the last time we spoke to you was months ago. Absolutely right. And uh, we are unlikely to have any progress simply because of the fact that, that um, look, I assume that what Shamila Batoy has doing is has been working on the assumption that she needs to wait for Zondo to finish. To finish. And at the point at which Zonda's reports cults come out in um, long big blitz. Now, uh, yeah, I see you sh- shaking your head disbelief, and, and I'm all shaking my head in, head in disbelief. But I'm saying that, that this is possible deniability. So, yeah. you know, you know I, I from that perspective, that it's got, got nothing to do with the, in, in really, they are up to scratch. To scratch. Look, here, here, here's a way of looking at what <clears> the <throat> actual answer is, that, that she is able to find evidence. That is to actually convict people. Has thought ever occurred? Yeah, it has occurred to me. Uh, what's occurred to me also is that you sound like that's all, folks, uh, from the Looney Tunes. Uh, what I'm going to do, Canton, I'm just going to I'm going to kick you out, come back in, and let's see if it sorts out the problem because I don't want you sounding like a cartoon character. It's very hard right. to take well, things well, seriously. What, what if, if you... Wait a so, second. Let's see if we can get him back. Sorry. So what I do agree with with what Canton is saying is that maybe she's unable to construct cases that will stick, charges that will stick and cases that will stick. But I think that there are precedents to how those things happen. Um, Think back to in New York City when, um, oh, when Giuliani was the, the state's attorney. And the mob was taking over the city. Was right. essentially had New York in its grips. Yep. One of the things that, that the, the district attorney, Giuliani, did was they went to a law professor at, at one of the Ivy League universities. And they essentially brought on board an independent person to help them construct a case that will stick. Now, you know that eventually, I mean, he wasn't caught for kind of being a mob boss, but mm-hmm. it was really around around the taxes and around, and, and around his business interests and the fraud happening there that they were able to ensnare <laughs> them. And what happened, well, and again, sending mm-hmm. shockwaves through the system, is what happened when, when they started prosecuting those people around those things. What it did was... You know, people ran scared. And there was there was that high profile murder of, of somebody who was supposedly a go- mm. in the streets of New York. Guys. Do you, so these do you remember things- remember when Hamilton and Lovu came to prominence just a little yeah. while ago? Because he stupidly went and bought like sixteen cars that were all uh, over a million rand. Uh and, and the the way we found out about that was SARS, right? Yeah. So, so again, SARS 
which seems to be the only government department that really does function very, very well and has its shit together. SARS should be the first point of entry for Shamila Batoy and for everyone else in the NPA to make their move. And as you say, Pumi, you can get them on a tax charge. Just lock them up. We don't care what it's for. I mean, there are so many different laws that that have been broken by so many people. Some mm. of them, they, they, they're not even aware that they are breaking these laws. And that's what Shamila's got. She's got to be able to think a little bit laterally on some yeah. of these things. It's not going to be as straightforward because Zondo said this or somebody came and said this and that. that we have got to find a way where we're thinking creatively around what needs to happen so that the end result is what people need to see to understand that there is still a rule of law in this country. Well, while we're waiting for Canton, I want to talk to you about the the, the, the judicial uh, situation in South Africa. There's this huge Supreme Court case in America. But in our own courts, we've now got a chief justice in, in Chief Justice Zondo, who was the former deputy chief justice. And they're going to make uh, Judge Meyer, who Maya. I said I was really impressed by, um, you know, during the, the, the hearings at the JSC. She was a she really was a very formidable and 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 I thought extremely strong candidate for chief justice. It turns out they're looking at her for deputy chief justice, which would be a very good move, don't you think? Look, and, you know, the parallels, what we're seeing in the States and what's happened here, and I'm I'm just, I'm so sad Catherine's not on this, is because... We'll get to it. Don't worry. What what we're seeing, what I I am seeing with what's Mm -hmm. happening in in SCOTUS is... What happens when politics and pol- and political positioning takes over in a, in in an environment where it shouldn't? And I think what we still have here in South Africa is we still have a relatively independent um, judicial system. You know, right. there, there's some there's some murmurings of some sure. people who and and it's one of the places where. I think the cancer that has been the ANC's mayhem hasn't gotten there yet. But almost everywhere else, and this is what you see when you read the Zondo reports, is you see how much the tentacles of the governing party have gotten into, you know, they've gotten in the way of things happening in this country. You know, and we're, we're still lucky that that part of our of our system has been hedged. Well, uh, more or less. I mean, you know, we we all we had our we had our, our misgivings about poor old Mohueng Mohueng when he first came in, and there's still people who thought that he wasn't necessarily the best Chief Justice, but he ended up at least doing a few heroic things for the independence of the, of the judiciary. Um, Canton, I know you want to talk about America and this this situation with Roe versus Wade at the moment, especially what's going on around the case, not just the case itself. But do you have any comments on, on uh, the, the state capture report, part four, which has been published, Judge Zondo's work, the fact that he's now our chief justice, the fact that uh, Judge Meyer, who, who, was, who was so impressive at, the, at the, uh, the Judicial Service Commission hearings, is likely to be our deputy chief justice. Any comments on any of that? Look, the only thing that comes to mind in terms of uh, going through, and I've only done a preliminary reading so far, guys, so you just bear with me here, but I note with, note with interest that there's hardly, uh, I don't see any reference made to the part played by McKinsey. 
So it looks like they've actually been allowed to exit this entire thing scot-free. And now, uh, yeah, carry on. How is that, how is that possible? Because I, I have to ask you, McKinsey's hands are filthy. And Absolutely, yes. All over the world, it seems that all these people do is get paid a huge amount of money by governments to involve themselves in some of the most corrupt activities. And what I'm saying, I'm obviously saying with great care and, and thought, because this is a powerful corporation that will sue if they believe that's not true. They won't sue because in South Africa, their hands are so deep into the till and they're so dirty that they've actually been trying behind the scenes to exit quietly from the stage left without anyone noticing. Canton, it's not possible for them to do that, though, is it? Everybody already knows how dirty they are. Yes, but but Zondo clearly thinks otherwise, and so that's part of the issue that I have. The second part of the, uh, the, the, the problem that I have with the, the Zondo report is that there is nothing that in any way fingers our president. Because remember, he was sitting at the right hand of Jacob Zuma for the entire time, and we don't see anything that actually puts him in the hot seat at any level. So these are the two issues that I have off the top of my head. Okay. This is why I say when you go back to the question of does Shamila Batoy possibly not have any grounds on which to actually go after people based on uh, on Zondo? And I think the answer to that is yes, because of the fact that she's not able to do anything without in some way incriminating the current crop of leadership. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Kenton, everything, everything currently... Whether it is mainstream media, whether it's political analysts, everything currently is constructed around protecting and, and treating with kid gloves our president. Everything. Well, <laughs> nobody, nobody criticizes the man, right? People were, were shocked that when he arrived at the May Day celebrations in Rustenburg, he was booed off the stage. I was like, yep. yeah, that's how people are feeling. And they don't care. But that was yeah, hardly made the news. I mean, it was like a two-second two, two second clip, if any, and then quickly moved on. Yeah. Yeah, embarrassing, right? I mean, this shows you how far we've come. I don't think I can remember an occasion where an ANC president at Mayday in particular... You know, it happened to Jacob Zuma. Uh, Really? He wasn't, he, well, there wasn't booed off the stage. Jacob Zuma did not run. Jacob Zuma stood his ground and just simply got his goons to get everyone together. But, you know, Cyril goes running off and then he apologizes. <laughs> yeah, well, he tried to make And, and, it, and he promises saw, to make things right. I saw him try to, to kind of sidestep this whole thing by saying, oh, you know, the people are upset and we hear the complaints of workers and. I've got to say it's a stupid move for Cyril Ramaphosa, particularly in a place like Rustenburg, where the memory of Marikana is so fresh. In I think minds. it's time. I, I think it's time that we let let go of Workers' Day. We have very few people who are workers left in our country. Like that's a good the unemployment idea. rate is so high. There's so many, so many people. We turn it into. Working. We turn Why it into. We, a, Unemployment day, and we, we use it as a day to try and find people jobs. I don't know. I mean, it's time. Good suggestion. All right, so let's stick around with South Africa for just a little bit longer because there are a couple of other stories. And then I know, you know, Canton, you're just itching to get onto the Ukraine. You want to talk about America. So we'll do that in a second. 
But are we still in COVID regulation time? A lot of people are asking this. Um, apparently, we've got a 30-day transitional COVID-19 measure thing, which expired at midnight last night. So technically now, we're out of mask wearing and sanitizing and all the bullshit, right? We don't oh, have to do I that anymore. A, I heard an announcement by our health minister that there is an extension to the period of consultation, I think, till the 5th of July. Yes, there was a renewal of the mask mandate, as I understand. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Why? What, what for? Because once people have gotten a taste of power, they don't let go of it, Gareth. We've had this discussion on this show, remember? Well, I'm, I'm only being... I'm, I'm willfully being ignorant here because I, I, st- I, I need it to be explained again and again because it doesn't make sense to yes. me that, that we're still stuck in this, in this stupidity. Um, I saw it, it was probably the Minister of Health uh, saying something about how, well, there's another wave. But what we haven't, we haven't calculated and what hasn't been put into the machine here is that wave after wave, the wave gets less and less deadly and more and more transmissible. And yes, there are people getting sick. But guess what? It's winter coming up. There are going to be people getting sick anyway. And we should just get back to things. I don't understand this. Uh, the dumbest thing of all is being on a plane and having to wear a mask where you actually have these HEPA filters and probably a better airflow than you do in anyone's house or office anywhere in the world. So I, I think it's just time we started disobeying the law here. I really think like civil disobedience is called for. Oh, you know, I'm... I'm in favor of civil disobedience, Gareth, and you know, uh, for the longest time I've been saying that what we need to do is hashtag defund the bastards. Yeah. Which means, which means don't pay taxes. You know, I, I think the, the, the mass stuff is, is kind of percent, you know, we get so, um, caught up with the fact that they in, infringing on our freedoms at the most petty level possible that that mm-hmm. distracts us from the rampant looting that continues going on. And take a look at, uh, you know, yet again, we have load shedding kicking in for the next period. And it, it's absolutely true. We're going to be living with this for the next three or four years, no yeah. matter what they may say. And uh, that You're is not. the level. Uh, I'm, not, because, I'm not. I'm not. Because, so, I'm, yeah, it's worth because I'm our friend, yes. Yeah, we never have to worry about Canton uh, and doing, you know, the show with us in the morning without electricity ever again, because you are now completely off grid. Is that right? Um, I'm almost completely off grid. My oven is not connected uh, uh, to my solar system. Okay, and, but everything uh, else. Because ovens, are ridi- <laughs> ovens eat a ridiculous amount of power. <laughs> yes, but it makes for good food for me. You know this. I I know this. This is like <laughs> I don't know how to do a gas oven. Like that's what I need. Ovens are ridiculous. Gas ovens are the most pathetic things possible. I lived in the U.S. for a number of years, and I used a gas oven, and it's it's horrendous. You do not want to deal with a gas oven. Mm-mm. You need a you need a gas cooker top, and you need an electric oven. And yes, well, you see, that's another reason people come to the burning platform is for kitchen <laughs> kitchen advice. This is very important. <laughs> All right, so Canton, I know I know you can't wait to go overseas. So let's talk about the Ukraine because we actually haven't touched on this for a couple of weeks now. And a lot of people have just kind of lost interest. You know, the news cycle moves on very quickly. We know that um, that people tend to be really uh, fickle about these things. What's actually going on there? John Steenhuisen made a visit. Uh, a lot of people think this is pure political theater. Uh, they're not impressed. The picture of him standing next to a broken water pipe, and he's talking about how 
tuck shops aren't going to be able to afford chips for the kids at school because they don't have cooking oil. But South Africa, the only comments we've made uh, are comments to the effect that we are either not choosing a side or if we're going to choose a side, it's going to be Russia. I saw the Pope said some interesting things. It's got him labeled a conspiracy theorist. I saw Noam Chomsky, of all people, the hero, the darling of the left, saying that this is not as cut and dried as the narrative that we're being sold by the mainstream media about how Ukraine is being prevailed upon by the evil Russians. And now I see uh, President Lula, who's recently out of jail and about to start Chapter 2. He famously featured on Time magazine. He's in the news saying, another prominent lefty, who's been saying, actually, guys, this whole Russia-Ukraine thing is not as easy as people seem to think it is to read. So what's your take? Well, can we first agree that if you look at South Africa as a whole, the question of which side you fall on in terms of whether you support Russia or whether you support Ukraine is very much determined by race. Okay. Can we agree on that? Can we agree on that? Well, I, what, what, what do you mean? Because Well, because I, if, 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 you know, I tend to not actually voice opinions on uh, any of our social media platforms around which side I fall in terms of this divide, because it is a question of nuance. But if you look in terms of the narrative that gets put out primarily by white commentators and, you know, so let, let's put Peter Bruce at the top of that pile. Um, and, and he's very much team Ukraine. And, okay. um, uh, and then, uh, uh, take a look at, uh, at St. Letze, who on a regular basis tweets, um, uh, footage of, uh, from the Russian side. And he's very clearly team Russia and, Go through social media and take a look at it, and you'll find that overwhelmingly, the people who are coming out in support of um, the uh, the Ukrainian side tend to be your your white commentators. Okay, and and uh, so that's an observation, and I'm just putting it out there. And sure. clearly, there's there's no scientific study that goes behind this, but it cuts to the chase of something that I've been trying to say for the longest time that the Ukraine conflict now has become probably the single most divisive issue in this planet. So if you use that as a, as a starting point, that is should immediately be giving us warning signals that things are not as clear-cut as we would otherwise be believing. So we need to look at this from, uh, from two perspectives. The, the first perspective is whether Russia has invaded Ukraine and whether they have a right to be there. Everyone says Russia ha does not have a right to be in uh, uh, in the Ukraine right now. Mm -hmm. But remember that the, the, the process that went in place before Russia actually moved in was in keeping with the UN rules. Because the first thing that happened was that the Russian parliament acknowledged the independence of the two uh, uh, Ukraine republics. So that's okay. Donetsk and, and, and Luhansk. All right. At the point at which they acknowledged that, there was then a formal request for military assistance from those independent republics. And I say independent republics um, uh, in quotes because obviously whether or not you recognize them depends on which side of this divide you fall. And at that point, Russia went in. So yeah. certainly in terms of the historical precedents around the UN rules, Russia has been doing this legally. No yeah. matter what 
we might say to the contrary. Now, from a moral perspective, whether that's an appropriate thing to be doing, I don't know the answer to that. But what is true is that ever since the signing of the Minsk Accords, and I assume that most of us are familiar with what the Minsk Accords um, uh, are all about, yep. but I'll, I'll just refresh your memory very quickly. The Minsk Accords were signed um, some years ago, basically guaranteeing the autonomy of those two republics within Ukraine. So it wasn't saying these are going to be independent states. The Minsk Accords was basically holding the government in Kiev accountable for ensuring that there was a reasonable degree of autonomy for those two uh, republics. And the, the starting point around that reasonable degree of autonomy was recognition of the Russian language as an official language in those territories. Because where this conflict started was at the point at which Kiev, after the U.S. toppled the government in Kiev in 2014, then removed Russian as an official language. And if you want to touch people on their studio, that is the quickest way to actually do so. So the Minsk Accords basically were holding Kiev accountable to ensure that there's a reasonable degree of autonomy for those two republics and that the, uh, that Russian would be actually protected. Instead, what happened was that Kiev has been waging a war against the two republics. Since 2014, up until now, there's been, um, there's been systematic shelling of, uh, of civilian areas. Those places were in an absolute state of devastation. Now, the, you've had a, a situation where people kept trying to pull Russia into the discussions with the Ukraine. Yep. And Russia kept saying, no, this is an internal matter for Ukraine to actually resolve. But Ukraine consistently continued to bomb these areas. Now, you know, we, we, if, don't, if, we, don't, we, we, we don't talk we, about this. No, we're not even we're not even hearing much about this. Obviously, it's not it doesn't suit some people's in inverted commas narrative to be talking about. Yeah. This stuff. So yes. speaking about not hearing about it, I mean, Kenton, you talk about Sintletsi on the one side and Peter Bruce on the other. One of the things that has also become glaringly obvious in this particular conflict is how much of a role state-controlled media plays. So where we sit, we have almost no way of knowing exactly what is happening on the ground. Because depending on what media you're looking at... What do you mean, Pumi? We've got, we've got John Steenhays and uh, wandering around in Ukraine as our fact-finding mission continues. <laughs> <laughs> no, absolutely. And, and again, even his fact-finding mission as he is walking around top billing style in Kiev and other parts of the... We're just... The, the things that he is saying and the views that he is giving us simply mirror exactly what Canton is talking about. So we have no way of knowing what what the truth may even look like. And we, we hear on the one side that Russia is being devastated left, right, and center. We hear on the other side that Kiev is being devastated. But in reality, what we what we don't know is we don't know what the intentions of any of the special military exercises that are being <laughs> exercised by Russia are. 
You know, does he does he really want to? Does he want to get to Kiev? Does he want to take over Kiev? Is he just creating havoc in that country? Because one thing we do know for sure is that where the Ukraine is now is their economy has been devastated, mm-hmm. and havoc has been wreaked on that country. If you look at the number of people who have left Kiev, even if Russia were to withdraw now. How long would it take them to rebuild their economy and rebuild industry in that country for them to be, you know, a viable country and an aggressor to the two regions of Dohask and Donetsk? So, so can I ask both of you, let me ask both of you, to whose advantage is it to keep this going? Um, if the conflict continues, who scores? Um, is it more to Putin's advantage and Russians, uh, Russia's advantage? or to NATO and the Ukraine if it continues uh, to, to be pressed? Well, I'll, I'll tell you how it ends. And, and this is going to be very unpleasant for most people. Um, Mariupol has already been taken. Mariupol is never going back to Ukraine. Mm-hmm. Let, let's be very clear about that. Yeah. Um, and once Mariupol is, uh, once, once the steel plant in uh, uh, in Mariupol has been completely purged. And the reason why those people are being held out there right now is that there's been credible independent uh, pointers showing that they are both UK and France military advisors who are embedded with that lot holding out mm-hmm. the steel plant. And that is why they are refusing to surrender. Because at the point at which they are forced to come out of there, it will be made clear that this has in fact been a proxy war on behalf of NATO. Uh So, and Putin is doing the the appropriate thing. He says, we're not going to waste our resources storming uh, the steel plant. We're just going to surround them. and We're not going to let a fly get out of there. And it's like an old medieval siege. It's an old medieval siege. That's exactly what it is. And eventually they're going to run out of food and they're going to have to come out of there. And Mariupol is thereafter going to be part of uh, the Donetsk Republic and it's never going to go back to Ukraine. Once Putin has finished with Mariupol, he's going to go after Odessa. And he's very, very important, very important strategic uh, asset that too, because it's the only Ukraine port in the Black Sea, right? Exactly. And he's going to take Odessa. And Odessa, too, is never going to go back to Ukraine. So Ukraine is going to become a landlocked country, you know, comprising Kiev and parts to the north Mm -hmm. and parts across to the east. You might very well have a situation where, you know, countries like Romania and Poland will take advantage of the opportunity and try to claim some pieces of land from Ukraine. Because remember that that's been a point of dispute going back to way before the Second World War. And of course, but, uh, and of course, Poland has scored massive points by taking in so many refugees. So they'll claim that in return for, you know, their magnanimity in taking all these refugees, maybe they deserve some land. There'll be all of that stuff, absolutely. But what is, what is absolutely true is that Ukraine is going to be a pale shadow of its former self um, all of the predominantly Russian-speaking areas, and of which Odessa is one, by the way, yes. are, are, going, are going to be within the ambit of those republics. And I assume that what will happen at some point is that those republics will then ask 
Russia to be annexed in exactly the same way as happened in Crimea, and they will become part of the, the Russian Federation as well. Now, when I say stuff like this, very importantly, okay, this is not what I want to happen. Yeah. Let's be very clear about this. But what's very clear to me, this is the way it's going. Because you've got, um, you've got economic interests in America. <laughs> yeah, but, but, but okay, so, so it's not just going to end with a, a, a treaty, though. It's not just going to end with, oh, well, everything's fine now. We've sorted out the territorial disputes no. and, the, and the ethnic and cultural and, and the, the Minsk Accords disputes. Of course, it's going to have a massive hangover effect. And this is what's interesting to me when it comes to the rest of the world. Because if we see the polarization you're talking about, if, if you, you mentioned, Canton, you know, white journalists and, and, and white people in South Africa on one side, and on the other side, you know, uh, largely black journalists, black people with a very different point of view on Russia and Ukraine. Ultimately, this is going to be an issue in America, too. We see that, that slowly the, the left and right are separating out on U, uh, Ukraine and Russia. Um, how do you think ultimately this is going to affect the EU? How do you think ultimately it's going to affect NATO? And what do you think the real world consequences are going to be for America in terms of involving themselves in this? The real world consequences for America are that they are already technically in recession. Because remember that they are currently optimistically putting economic growth at 3.2% down from, uh, which is substantially down from where it was. But remember also that inflation in the US is running at the highest level that it has been for 41 years. Yep, since the Carter administration and yes. now two, two consecutive um, quarters of, of downward economic activity. That, that is technically a recession where the Joe Absol Biden, whether Joe Absol Biden keeps absolutely right. the, the, yeah. the Russian price hikes or not. It, this is self-inflicted. Yes. So uh, for the poorest of the poor in the U.S., you've had a drastic drop in terms of living standards over um, uh, the past six months, and that's going to continue. So uh, let's just push the, the U.S. Uh, 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 aside for now and take a look at what has been happening in Europe. Now, the U.S. has been pushing every single country to send as much of their arms as they possibly can across to the Ukraine. Yeah. Now, those arms are not getting replenished automatically. Mm -hmm. So now what do you think happens if Russia decides to attack? Do they have arms to defend themselves? The answer is no. Well, so far also, we've got to say that Russia has been underwhelming. I thought this thing would be over in three weeks when they started it. And it seems Russia's had to do a little bit of maneuvering. And there have been a couple of quite embarrassing defeats uh, around but that's here. Based on, but that is based on what you think they set out to do. Ah, okay. So there's an that's information... based on what you think they set out to do. Uh, okay. So there's an information war going on here, too. And there is, there's deliberate miscommunication. Can we use this time, because I don't want us to run out of it, to just turn our attention to America again, where disinformation and misinformation are now being weaponized? It's almost Orwellian. Uh, Joe Biden announced the, the, <laughs> the institution of, of essentially what is a Department of Truth as part of Homeland Security. A Ministry of Truth has been established in the United States where they will be handling misinformation and disinformation. This is a very scary idea. And, it, it, you know, people use the... To, they use the term Orwellian 
in, in my opinion, far too much. But this, if anything, in the last 20 years can be described as Orwellian. This is it. A group of political appointees who will decide what is and isn't essentially something worth criminalizing just based on whether or not someone agrees with you or not. And everything is partisan, regardless of what Jen Psaki says in the White House, right? We had that during the apartheid era uh, out here, Garrett. You might recall mm. we had a bureau. We had a bureau for information. Correct, and, and that was exactly what its role was. It was um, every everything before it got put out into the media. It had to be vetted by the Bureau for Information. So that was put in place at the time that I skipped the country in '86. The uh, with the state of emergency, there was rampant censorship in place, and the Bureau for Information would decide whether or not something could be published. So, obviously, this is a, a full-on... And by the way, they never needed to establish this while, um, while Twitter was friendly. Uh, now that Twitter might become uh, a little more objective, it's a problem. So, of course, we need a department of misinformation. Well, fortunately, um, if you look in terms of what has been happening with the U.S. markets, uh, the likes of Facebook also have taken a massive pounding in terms of their, their, yeah, their share prices. Nice. So... You know, the ability to actually weaponize these platforms, um, given that they are performing as poorly as they are right now, is actually going to be quite uh, diminished. But you see, the more interesting thing for me is that if you look in terms of this leak that took place purportedly from the U.S. Supreme Court around, yes, uh, yes. and yes, and uh, and the leak really is not because look, I, I think all of us are aware that. When you have decisions that get taken by a bench of judges, you know, whether it's our, uh, you know, full bench out here or the Supreme Court of Appeal or going all the way to the Constitutional Court, you will generally have a person who will come up with an opinion that is meant to sway the majority of people. And then you'd also have another person who will come up with minority opinions. And these are never set in stone. So there are... And in the case of the U.S., you'll generally have a scenario where uh, the most extreme person will come up with a particular viewpoint, and then it goes through a process of actually getting hammered into shape. And eventually, you'll end up with a consensus. Or mm -hmm. if you don't end up with a consensus, then you'll have a majority view and a minority view. So the situation that we have right now, and uh, I, I made this point um, uh, a couple of days ago when this leak came out, that the Democrats did not have an issue on which to hang the forthcoming midterm elections. Mm. And, and so suddenly what happens is you have a leak of, uh, of an opinion and the narrative for the next months is that if you do not stand up against the Republicans, your reproductive rights are going to go. Uh, convenient. And, convenient. And, 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 and it really is as, uh, as, uh, as simple as that in terms of what's happening right now. So the question of whether Roe versus Wade is under, uh, under threat or not, I think is peripheral um, to the issue. We have not yet seen what uh, decision is going to come out from that court. That's such, a, that's mm. such an interesting point. I mean, if, if the know? Democrats, this is, their, this is their golden, their silver bullet, right? This is the, the opportunity that they haven't had up to now. They've got no good news. There's no story to tell. Uh, and now suddenly they've got a reason that, that their base will get really fired up, and it has to be Roe v. Wade. 
Well, absolutely. But uh, I, I think that they they actually misunderstand the extent to which this is likely to be a an issue of significance for the majority of voters, given the overall decline in standards of living, the overall plummeting of um, uh, of real incomes, uh, the, the the soaring price of uh, of fuel at the petrol pumps. I think that those are going to be the bread and butter issues that are going to sway this election, rather than Roe versus Wade. I think that. Say, if, yeah. hmm? What do you say, Pumi? Sorry, she was going to say uh, something, and I interrupted. I think one of the things that we're also kind of not paying enough attention to is we spoke about this, Catherine. That's why I'm so glad you're here today. At the, um, with the outcome of the last election in the US, that what you're also seeing is you're seeing an overall kind of decline of the, 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 the way that the world also views America and its democracy and who they are and their standing in the world. And this is when you look at how NATO and Russia is going for them, when you look at how they... Uh, essentially their stagflation when you look at the 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 standard of living for most americans all of that stuff is the dying of an empire and i wonder if we should look at if we should look at it as as many people before us have is it because of their ill-fated afghanistani campaign I, I don't know. I mean, it's also, you know, Gore Vidal predicted the fall of the American empire back in the 60s and 70s. But I will say, and I want to hear what you two think of this, that this is also the decline and fall of, of the, the last couple of years of the Democratic Party and all of their ideals coming crashing down. I mean, there's a, this is where, as I said earlier this morning, reality and, and narrative meet. And unfortunately, reality always wins. Uh, there are plenty of things that are going on at the moment that are just outside of the control of America's political elite. And they don't like that. And unfortunately for them, the average American is seeing it that way too, which is why they're going to be shellacked at the polls. I mean, don't you agree about that, Pums? Well, and again, what happens in America, and this is why the Democrats, historically, they do well when they can get people out to vote, is because they don't vote. You know, they have a very similar situation to what we have here, where people just don't show up to vote. When they think everything is kind of fine, they don't show up to vote. And the people who do show up to vote, you say the average American. But it is, you know, America's conservative side comes out to vote far more often than the Democrats or the liberal side. Well, I don't know. I mean, Barack Obama managed to get the biggest voter turnout in history. I mean, somehow Joe Biden... Uh, improved on that in the last election, maybe just because people really hated Donald Trump. But they are getting their just desserts now. I mean, Canton, what, what would your comment be on that? The Democrats are seeing the, the floor fall out under them. Joe Biden's approval ratings are the lowest of any president in recorded history at the moment. You see, the more crucial question is, who else do they have that is able to step into that, uh, that spotlight and become the next Democrat contender for president? And it's going to be almost impossible for them to come up with with someone appropriate because remember that what the Democrats have done in the uh, the last election is that they actually smacked down every single person who might actually have done something reasonable in terms of that party. And Bernie Sanders was the single biggest example of that. Yeah. You know, if, if anything, 
right now, the best thing that the Democrats could do is to actually go for the likes of Bernie Sanders. Um, you know, my personal favorite would have been Tulsi Gabbard, but they insisted on pushing her out simply because um, she wasn't uh, in favor of, uh, of doing the entire military intervention in other countries thing because of the fact that she's actually served in the military, still serves in the military for that matter. So, but it also highlights a worldwide failing of the left. There are just no new ideas on that side of the political spectrum. Yep. There are no new ideas. There are no charismatic leaders, not just in America, all over the world. There's just, there are no charismatic leaders. There are no new ideas. And they really are not giving any solutions to the problems that we are all facing every day. Well, let's go back to uh, to Europe very briefly, because now you've got a situation where Biden is trying to persuade Finland and Sweden to sign up for NATO. And I think this is an extremely stupid thing to do, because when wow. Putin, ha Putin has drawn his red line and he said, I do not want a further extension of NATO up, up onto my borders. And, and, this, <clears throat> and, and the rest is short here. And this is why the Pope's utterances have been viewed kind of askance, because that's what he's saying. He's just saying, guys, this man is telling us to get our nose out from his face. And yet there's still this kind of push that's happening at NATO where they, they keep kind of pushing the envelope, pushing their luck. Well, he's he's saying, absolutely right. And the case of Finland, I, I, I wrote a fairly detailed history um, uh, fairly recently that went into the relationship between Finland and Russia. And remember that Finland fought on the side of the Nazis in World War II, which is why they ended up losing a significant amount of chunk to Russia in the first place. Yeah. Now, if you have... Uh, and, uh, so remember Putin's two main goals that he's been talking about with regard to the Ukraine. He's been talking about demilitarization, which means that he's pretty much taking out every single military facility that he can. Mm -hmm. So the supply lines, for example, uh, yeah, in the West, that have allowed the shipment of arms to come in um, from, uh, from Europe into the, the Ukraine, he's been bombing those and taking them out. Yes. So it doesn't matter now the extent to which the, uh, the rest of NATO is able to get arms into Ukraine. The arms mean absolutely nothing if you don't have fuel that's uh, able to actually, um, uh, that if you can't fuel the tanks, if you can't fuel the jeeps, if you can't actually transport the weapons to where you want them to be. And more importantly, if you don't have food to be able to feed the troops that are going out there. So, but, you know, but, yeah, but, so, but Gareth, you know, just to tie in with something that you said earlier, where people say that, um, this has not gone as well as it should be uh, be expected. I would just want to point out something, that in the first six days, Russia took control of territory in Ukraine that's the size of the entire United Kingdom. Yeah. Just in terms of size. Now, just understand that from a military perspective. That is absolutely massive. All right, so... Yeah, so look, I mean, I, I also understand that not everything that we're being told uh, is necessarily true. There's, there's always, there's an angle to all of this, depending on where you're getting your news. And slowly but surely, we're starting to realize this has always been the case, that our information has been controlled or it's been 
filtered or it's been siphoned into certain places and taken away from others. Uh, just to end off, because we've got very little time left, uh, why has everything gone so quiet around China when they've got this insane COVID policy at the moment? They've basically shut the country down again. Shipping has ground to an absolute halt in China. I saw a, I saw a, a, a picture yesterday of a, a screenshot of all the shipping lanes in, in China and how all these ships are basically moored off the Chinese coast. But thousands and thousands, if not millions of ships, and everything has just stopped. What is this? I wrote a piece fairly recently that uh, I essentially started a conspiracy theory. And my theory is that shutting down Shanghai is an excuse to put a chokehold onto the economies of the West. Because remember that Shanghai effectively is the factory for the entire West. And by putting in bottlenecks out there, you're actually putting a stranglehold on the U.S. economy, particularly in terms of the tech stocks. And, um, you know, you look at the likes of Apple as a, as a significant example. Hmm. I think that this is part of an overall um, plan by Russia and China working together. And remember that they actually signed an agreement to this effect two weeks before the special military operation got launched. Hmm. People are not following the paper trail. People are not aware of the extent to which that both China and Russia, and to a lesser extent India, are actually working together for a dramatic realignment of the world order. There yeah. we go. Probably, probably I got so much hate. I said that two weeks ago. I got so much hate on the comments here. Go to yeah. it's, 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 like, yeah. it's like a magic show, right? It's smoke and mirrors. We're all looking over here, and where the real action is, is over here. Yeah? I got so and much hate for saying that, Captain. Thank you for saying it, too. <laughs> now, also, also I'd like to point out that um, Solomon Islands has signed an agreement with China. Um, Australia is now now saying that uh, if China establishes a, a military base in the Solomon Islands, it's going to be a red line for them. And the U.S. Yes. has been saying exactly the same thing. Remember that the Solomon Islands is 2,000 miles, about 3, 000, uh, you know, more than 3,000 k's away from uh, from Australia. And yet Australia considers that to be a red line. And yet when Putin, Putin says exactly the same thing about Ukraine, which is literally on his doorstep, everyone says, no, you're not allowed to do that. All right. I'm afraid we're going to have to cut it short now because we ran out of time. But that is the burning platform for this morning. Canton, great to have you on. Um, and I'm delighted to see uh, that you and Pumi had to have uh, some agreement in this in this episode. People prefer it when you fight, but you seem to agree almost the whole way through. We only scratched the surface, I'm afraid, on so many of these subjects. Um, Canton, you do publish articles. Tell us where we can find them because you mentioned them once or twice. Yeah, cantonpillay.com. You know, the quickest thing is go there and just use the search box. So if you go there and type in Shanghai, you'll get the entire paper trail around uh, why I think that what's happening in Shanghai right now, and to a lesser extent what's happening in Hong Kong, is a deliberate plan on the part of Xi Jinping to actually cripple the Western economies. And more importantly, I think it's working. Thank you, Pumi. Thank you, Canton. Most especially thank you to you for listening. And we will return with another Burning Platform next Thursday, a proper full five-day week. Oh. How are we going to handle it? Tomorrow's Friday. We'll see you bright and early in the morning at 6. Cheers, everybody. Bye-bye.